summer weekend night too. Would you make some noise, y'all? Hey, so much fun. I, I was on the side of uh, on the side of worship a moment ago, and I was just thinking, man, it's moments like these, worshiping God together, seeking after God together. It's nice to be a great night. Um, hey, if you're brand new, maybe you've never been to Bridge Youth before. Maybe somebody yesterday, um, after night one of summer weekend, like convinced you to be here. They talked you into it. Maybe somebody paid for you to be here, and here you are. I just want to say thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. We just love that you chose to spend some of your time with us. We think that's so cool. We like welcoming our guests every single week in a way that never ever gets old for us. We like saying, <clears throat> everyone clear your throat. <clears throat> we are here to build you up, not... We love you. We back you. We're so thankful that you're here. Hey, you don't have to believe to belong here. If you're in the room, you're family. And so, hey, who was here last night for Elliot Bland, night one? Man, it was so, so, so cool. Shout out to Elliot, our great, great friend. We have another one of our good friends here tonight to bring you a message. Um, but really quick, I just want to say, um, so tonight's not the last night of summer weekend. Tomorrow, somebody say tomorrow. Look at your neighbor, say Tomorrow. Look at your other neighbor, the one you chose second, and say, tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you. It's just kidding. Okay. All the drama kids were like, yes, this is my moment. Um, tomorrow is actually the last, the last day of summer weekend. And here's what we're going to do. We are going to take over our 11.30 service. So roll out, come hang out. I'm going to be preaching. Our youth team's going to be leading worship. Our service host will be a part of everything. Right here in this room, we're giving out that electric scooter that I've been riding around the office for like three or four days. I really have, this is the most walking I've done in the last three days. I've been on that scooter nonstop. And I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry when I, when I give away that scooter because it's become a dear, close friend of mine. I threw in my AirPods and put on repeat, highway to the danger zone. <laughs> so stoked. I love it. But tomorrow's going to be so rad. Do us a favor. Hey, tomorrow, 1130. Meet us in here at 11. We're going to hang out, do some games, do the giveaway, and then we're going to go down front. We're going to sit down front. We're going to worship down front. Help us to just, like, lead the way tomorrow morning. Um, if you're crazy and awesome and cool and you want to come to both services, I will be preaching in both services. Our team will be leading in both services, all of that. But let's really champion that 1130. So look at your neighbor. Say, be there. Look at your other neighbor, the one that you chose second again, and say, be there. <laughs> hey, um... Tomorrow's the conclusion, but this is like the last, like, youth night where we're going to be in this series, Have Heart. And I don't know about you, but I've loved this series. I love the way that God's challenged us. I've loved preaching in this series. It's been so much fun. But I just think that God is not done. Somebody say amen. Come on, I believe that God has more. I believe that God still wants to challenge us. And I'm going to tell you, um, tonight is going to be a very unique night. Last night, like, plans just, like, shifted in our altar time. We, like, anointed people. Some of you weren't here last night, and you don't even know what anointing is. Well, you missed out. Now you didn't get anointed uh, with oil, and that means that your forehead's not going to break out like the rest of us who got anointed last night. Um, um, but tonight is going to be a very unique night. Tonight, tonight is going to be, um, dare I say, a night that's really not like any other night we've had at Bridge Youth, and possibly we won't have for a really long time. And this isn't streaming online. We're recording it, but it isn't streaming online. So there's not even, like, if you're not in the room, you don't get to experience this tonight. 
And I just think God wants to do something really, really unique and really special. Are you in for it? Are you down for it? Are you ready for it? Um, I have the privilege of bringing up um, our guest speaker, who's really not a guest. He's like family to us now. Um, he's really awesome, but his wife, Brandy, is way, way cooler. So much cooler. She, didn't, she wasn't here last night. He came and he was hanging out, but she wasn't here last night. And we were like, why, dude, like, why are you here without your wife? She's so, don't worry, that's not a chainsaw coming through the roof. It's just the dampener that's turning on the air conditioner, and it's going to cool everything down. Okay? So anyways, um, uh, uh, she might be better than, than, better than him at golf as well, even though he is pretty good. Um, but here's what I love about my friend. Um, he is one of, I actually just said this to, uh, I just said this to Amber um, last night. We were driving to go get dinner with you, and she goes, it's so cool that Matt is speaking on Saturday, but on the night he's not even speaking, he, he comes out, and he wants to be a part of things. He wants to be in it. He wants to hang out with students. And I looked at Amber, and I said, you know why? She goes, why? I said, because Matt is the best of us. <laughs> and he is. Like, honestly, he is. Anybody have a friend like this, that if somebody has a problem with this person, you assume it's their problem? You're like, well, I don't even need to hear the situation. You got a problem with them? It's your problem. That's how I feel about Matt. Um, also, he's maybe one of the greatest communicators and orators of the gospel that I've ever heard. He is, I say this all the time, the most intelligent person I have the privilege of calling my friend. Um, but however good he is at ministry and pastoring and on a platform, and with a microphone in his hand, he is a million times better of a husband and a friend and a brother, and that's why I love him so much, and that's why I'm so, so stoked um, to have him speak to you. And I want you to just know, really, this is the second time that, that Matt spoke at Bridge Youth, and he is back literally by popular demand. Um, <laughs> Matt spoke a message. He wasn't even the camp speaker last, last year. He spoke a, like, Wednesday morning a Wednesday morning message at camp, and everybody like came back not talking about our camp speaker, who was dope, by the way. He was so awesome. But everyone came back talking about Matt's message. It was like, hey, we need to bring Matt to Bridges. And we brought him to Bridges, and they were like, this is so awesome. We need to bring Matt back. So back by popular demand, would you stand to your feet, put your hands together for Pastor Matt Dudley. Wow. Um, wow. Uh, first, I'm just going to make that really awkward and drag that slowly to the front of the platform. Is that cool? Okay. Um, thank you. Uh, I lost track of Corey. Thank you for that. Um, it's hard to stand up and, and like speak when somebody says so many kind things. Uh, so thank you, Corey. I love you, man. And I love, I love the whites. Corey and Amber, not just, like, white people, but, like, like, <laughs> yeah, I love all people, let me just be clear on that, but I love, yeah, I love you, man, I love you, I love you, I love Corey and Amber, um, it's hard to find, it's hard to find leaders of their caliber that refuse to move on from youth ministry, because they know that this is where it's at. 
And so I love them for their commitment to youth ministry. I love Bridge Youth. I love your team. I love being here with you guys. And I love that I get to be here at summer weekend. If I could just be honest for a moment, I've kind of, like, been a summer weekend fanboy for a little while, okay? Like, following on social media whenever it happens every year. I'm just like, oh, summer weekend, so cool, so cool. And what's funny is, in previous years, I've, it, it hasn't worked out. Like, they haven't invited me, but, you know, whatever. But it hasn't worked out to, to, for me to come. I know I have a standing invite to come hang out. I'm down with that because we're family. It's all good. No, but, but I, like, it just hasn't worked to, like, let me just go hang out at summer weekend with these guys. And this year, it does. And so I'm excited to be with you. So I want to do something tonight that's basically my favorite thing in the world to do. And if you'll lean in with me, I think we're going to have a great time tonight. Um, My absolute favorite thing in the world to do is teach the scriptures to a room full of young people. That is my absolute favorite thing to do. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight. Um, Thank you, Technic. Hey, by the way, by the way, the unsung heroes of any amazing event, the tech crew, holy smokes. Yes, yes. Last night, Pastor Corey's calling audibles. They're like, boom, on it. Tonight, everything gets shifted around. They're like, boom, on it. Like, these guys are flawless. I'm, I'm so impressed. Well done. All you people that we don't see, thank you for making it amazing for all of us. We appreciate it. Uh, Pastor Corey did something a moment ago as he was giving us a bit of a, uh, what, we, what we would call an or- exhortation, uh, right before uh, uh, worship ended tonight. He, he, he was talking about the importance of, like, leaning in in this moment. And, and I just, it was funny, is before he even got up to do that, I felt like God just kind of dropped this reminder in my, my heart that I want to throw your way. Because I think a lot of times what happens in rooms full of young people like this, we get really passionate about what we would call the praise and worship portion of the service, right? Like we get really excited about the music and, 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 and lifting our voices to Jesus. We feel like it's this incredibly interactive thing. We sense the presence of God and, and there's excitement and joy and, and, and there's conviction. There's all kinds of amazing things that happen in that. And then it's like, man, we come down and now we got to listen to a dude talk for a while. Let me, let me point something out to you, okay? Um, when you listen to the teaching of Scripture, you are still worshiping. It's actually an act of worship to turn your attention towards the teaching of God's Word. It's an act of worship. And so here's what I know to be true tonight. If you will lean in and you will say, Spirit, speak, He will. Like, it has nothing to do with Matt. Matt's going to ramble on for... 37 minutes and 32 seconds, probably not that long, honestly. That's what the clock says I have, uh, which is dangerous to give me that much time. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm going to go on, and I'm going to tell you stories, and I'm going to talk to you about the scriptures and all those things. But what you need to do is you need to tune your hearts and your minds and say, okay, God, if you want to say something to, my, to me tonight, would you say it? Because as many of us as are in here tonight, the Spirit wants to say something to each of us. So I want to take a moment and pray. I know we've already prayed a bunch tonight, but I want to take a moment and pray if I could. And I want to pray for you to receive what Spirit would have for you tonight. So let's do that. Father, you are good, and we are grateful. Thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for the way that you're moving among us. I pray during this time that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to know what the Spirit is saying to the church to us. 
And I pray, God, during these moments that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Tonight, the message is Heart for the House. And it's a good title, so you know I didn't write it. Um, <laughs> it's a title that, that Pastor Corey gave me. And I was excited when he gave it to me, because here's the thing. Like, when it's youth conference weekend, it's usually like, hey, bring some, like, inspiring message. Tell us the story of the time that you almost died falling off of the Grand Canyon. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. But, but like, tell us the story of, of that, right? And, and, and Pastor Corey was like, I want you to talk about the church at our youth conference. And I was like, yeah. Like, that's my guy. That's how I want to do it. Um, so I want to talk to you about the church tonight. I love the church. In fact, I, in a very real way, I feel as though I have dedicated my entire life to the church. And I have no regrets about it. I have no regrets about it. She is beautiful and glorious. Yeah, she can be a mess at times, but that's just because we be a mess at times. But she's amazing. And tonight we're going to talk about the church, and we're going to talk about why the church is important. But let me tell you about why the church is important to me first, and then we're going to talk about what the scriptures say about the church and why that's important for us. And then we're going to do something really different at the end of the evening, and I really believe that God is going to use it to do something significant in your life. You ready? Here we go. Even if you're not, three people were, so I'm going to move on. So here's the thing. I've always felt like a bit of a misfit. And, and when I say that, like people hear the word misfit and they're like, oh, dude's a rebel. No, I never have been. Like I'm a good rule follower. I'm a really like nerdy guy. And even as a kid, really like nerdy kid. Like I was, you know, really good at school and I, I, I like never really got in trouble. I've never been suspended. I've never been in a fight um, because, you know, the second someone has to use their fists, they've just run out of good ideas. And so... Um, that's for free. You can just think on that one. Uh, but, but I've always felt like a bit of a misfit because I've never really felt like I found a spot where I belong. Like, I've always felt as though I was on the outside looking in. Like, there's this thing. Like, I'm 38 years old, okay? Like, I, I am 38 years old. I know, 40 is, like, on the horizon. I'm like, no, how dare you? You're supposed to be so far away from my life. But there it is. So it's on the horizon. And listen, I... I, I even at 38, there's so many times that I feel like I'm like, just, I don't fit. I don't belong. And, and it's funny because like God has opened these doors and these opportunities in my life and these things that I get to be a part of. And I'm like, what am I doing in this room? I just, I, I often feel like I don't fit. I felt like I've not really belonged. You know, I come from a really big blended family. Anybody in here, like you got stepbrothers, stepsisters, half-brothers, half-sisters, like all that jazz. Yeah. I am the youngest of seven. And we're like not even Mormon, right? Like I am the youngest of seven and, and it's because my parents are both in their third marriages and like I'm a product of marriage number two, which was when they married each other. And like, so, you know, like when my wife, Brandy, who really is better than me, Corey wasn't lying about that. Uh, my wife, Brandy, when, when we first started dating, she was like, I need you to explain how this works because like I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble picturing your family tree. I was like, well, the thing is, it's not so much a tree as it is a hedge. It goes really wide, really quick. Because, like, my parents just decided they liked weddings or something. I don't know. And so, they, you know, I, I'm the youngest of seven. I have one full brother. And I love my family. I really do. I, I, I adore them. I, I think the world of them. Like you, you. You love your family as crazy as they can be. But... Maybe you're like me, and even in your own home and in your own family, you've just never felt like you fit. Anybody? Yeah. My people. That's me. 
That's the life that I've lived. And, and the thing that's challenging about not feeling like you fit is that you begin to feel like you don't matter. And that's my story. When I was a child, I began to think I didn't matter. In fact, I remember when I was seven years old, I, I wanted to end my own life. Like, legitimately. That was me. At seven, I had a nihilistic complex and thought that uh, there is no meaning there's no substance, and my life will never amount to anything. And so I wanted to end my life when I was seven. Because, you know, that's what seven-year-olds do. They have existential crises. At least they do now. When I was growing up in the 80s, we didn't. It was weird that I was walking through that stuff. It was weird that I was a 13-year-old that, that was depressed all the time and full of anxiety and, 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 and wanted to end his own life. That was weird. But now... It's not. We have a culture and a crisis in our culture where, where we have created a world that is so toxic to our young people that they are overridden with depression and anxiety. And I don't blame you for it. I blame me and the people older than me because we've given you this world. But let me tell you, if you feel like you don't matter, if you feel like your life doesn't matter, you do matter. In fact, you were born out of the imagination of God. Let, let, me, let, me just, let me just pause right there for a moment. Think about this. You were born out of the imagination of God. You're born out of the imagination of God. Think of the infinite imagination of God who creates supernovas and galaxies beyond our comprehension. By the way, speaking of galaxies far, far away, anybody watch Kenobi yet? My people... For what it's worth, for what it's worth, Obi-Wan Kenobi is my spirit animal. And um, so, yeah, I, he, he creates, beyond anything that we could comprehend, mountains and rivers and streams and sunsets and birds and frogs and, and quokkas. Anybody ever seen a quokka? These things are amazing. I just discovered them, and my wife was like, how do you not know about the quokka? The quokka is a marsupial, and it's like a cross between a tiny kangaroo and, and, and a, a koala. They're like the most, they constantly have a smile on their face. They're the most adorable creature on the planet, okay? And, and out of the infinitely creative mind of God, as he's created all of those things and all of the colors that we can perceive and all of the sounds and the tones that we can find and, and all of the subatomic, so the vast and the grand, out of that divine imagination, he stopped and took the time to imagine you. 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 I prayed for Ethan last night. Was it another Ethan? I thought it was you. Yeah, yeah. I prayed for Ethan last night. And I was thinking about that this morning. Ethan, you were born out of the imagination of God. Like you, specifically. Each of us. Each of us. Your life has significance, but, but I want you to understand something. Even though you might understand that you're born out of the imagination of God, I want you to know that you have never been intentionally left to wander through life isolated and alone. That's not God's design. It is the design of a culture, a culture that wants to absorb your attention and monetize it through devices that we... That we as you age, you're going to understand something. Holding your cell phone for as long as you do is going to start to give you carpal tunnel. We have so 
in, enormously enraptured the minds of a generation that were actually not just breaking their minds, but their bodies. Listen. I like my cell phone. I like my iPad. I like all that stuff. But let's just be honest with ourselves for a moment. We all have a problem, don't we? We all have a problem. And it's not enough to just say we have a problem. The problem is we use those things to put a barrier between us and the rest of the world because while we know that we feel alone, we don't want to feel alone, so we do this imaginary device kind of connection sort of thing so that we don't feel alone, so that we don't feel left out. But it only makes you feel more alone at the end of it. And this is the problem with the lies of the world. They sound really good, but ultimately they lead you right back into the spot that you were, but even worse off than before. You are not left to wander through life isolated and alone. In fact, your life, born out of the imagination of God, is to be woven into a much larger tapestry that brings color and vibrancy and unity to the whole. You see, one of the greatest gifts that God has given to humanity is humanity. Let me say that again. One of the greatest gifts that God ever gave to people was people. We were built for relationships with each other. And some of y'all are like, I know I was built for a relationship with her if she would just respond to my DM. I know I was built for that relationship. That's what I'm talking about. We were built for each other. We were built for each other. One of the great gifts of God to people is people. Maybe you've had the experience in your life where you just felt like everything was falling apart, but, but one person, one person noticed that things were wrong. And they came alongside of you. You know, I wonder, I wonder if one person had noticed what was going on in a young man in Uvalde, Texas this last week, if we wouldn't all be grieving the loss of life that we're grieving. You were not created to go through this life alone. You're not here because you're an accident. You are here out of divine intention for relationship with God and each other. One of the greatest gifts that God has given to humanity is humanity. There's this Greek word in, in, in the New Testament that, that sums this up. You see, we were created for what we call fellowship or koinonia. Koinonia is this, this Greek word that gets used all over the New Testament to talk about what it is to have fellowship and, and community. And, and really what it is, it's partnership, it's sharing. Ultimately, it's about a shared destiny. It's not just like, well... I had, you know, a bunch of French fries, and so I shared them with my friend. By the way, don't share fries with me. I hate potatoes. Um, I know, it's just a thing. Some of you are like, what is wrong with this dude? I know. I told you, misfit, never have really fit in. Hate potatoes. Okay, here's the deal. Like, we were built for this partnership, this shared destiny. Fellowship is part of God's design for us. And listen, fellowship is this really old word, but it's a good word. And some of you are like, oh, I know fellowship. Lord of the Rings, fellowship of the ring. Yes, right? Like, okay. Hey, listen, I love me some Lord of the Rings. Um, by the way, Samwise Gamgee, the actual hero of the story. Okay? The actual hero of the story. Homeboy was dehydrated, tired, exhausted, had his head beat in by a rock from Gollum, and carried Frodo up Mount Mordor. Come on, that dude is the beast. Okay. Sorry, I got distracted. I told you I'm nerdy. Okay, here we go. 
Fellowship's an old word, but it's a good word. And so I, I want to give you a really cheesy picture for what fellowship is because it gives us a good picture for what koinonia is. Okay, so can we be really nerdy and cheesy for a second? Yes? Yes? Okay, the word fellowship, right? Fellowship. Break it into two words. Fellow and ship, right? Right? Fellow is like a person. Ship is like a boat that people are in, right? It's the thing that floats on the water. Yes? Yes? Okay, good. We're on the same. Okay. Let me, let me give you a picture of fellowship. This is so cheesy, and it's awful, and I am sorry. Some of you are going to groan, but this picture really helps. Imagine two fellows in a ship. Yeah, I know, right? Yes. Okay. Imagine two fellows in a ship. They're in it together. Wherever the ship's going, that's where they're going. Whatever the ship goes through, they're going through it together. Whatever the ship experiences on the open seas, they experience it together. They could have disagreements, but they have to be committed to something bigger if they're going to see the shore. They have to be committed to the safety of the ship. They have to be committed to the success of the ship. They have to be so in it that they're not thinking about themselves all the time, but they're thinking about the whole ship. This is what fellowship is. It's to be united in destiny with others, traveling in the same direction, so committed to the direction that you will not give up on it. That's fellowship. That's koinonia. They're committed to something bigger. They share in their experience. So what's the ship that we're all in? Is the question that we have to answer tonight. What's the ship that we're all in? Well, it's the church. The church is the ship. And listen, listen, listen. Some of you are like, yeah, I came to the church tonight. Yeah, I get that. Yes, the church, calling the building the church is not such a bad thing. But ultimately, the church is not a building because we started calling ourselves the church of Jesus long before there was ever a building built. In fact, the first official church building was built in, in Istanbul, Turkey, in the year 300 and something. I stood in it not long ago, right before the pandemic. And, and, and so for 300 and some odd years, there were Christians, there was a church, but there wasn't a building. You tracking? The church is something so much more than the building. Thank God for the building, because if we didn't have the building, we'd be outside. And, and outside can be awesome, but I live, like, next to Palm Springs, and sometimes outside ain't so awesome, because it's hot. It's so hot. The church is the ship that we're all in. If we're to be in fellowship, the church is the ship that we're in. So what's the church? That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. We're going to look at a lot of scripture, and I want to help you get a picture of what the church is. And then I want to show you what your responsibility as a part of the church is. Are we all together? Here we go. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. This is a story about Jesus. He's speaking to a large crowd of people. And as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and his brothers, they stood outside asking to speak to Jesus. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Now, now like, if it was, you know, Wednesday night, Bridge Youth Night, and, like, the whole crew is here. There's, like, 5,000 teenagers showing up here on Wednesday nights, whatever it is, you know. And, and, and like, Corey's family showed up, and they're like, hey, we want to get to Corey. We, we want to, we got to tell him something. You know, we got to, we got to, like, have a family moment with Corey before, before youth service tonight. Leaders would probably be like, okay, and they would take Corey's family directly to Corey. So, so this is that kind of story, right? It's crowded. They come to see Jesus, Jesus' mother and his brothers. They come. They want to speak to Jesus. And one of the people, they come to Jesus, they say, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to speak to you. So Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? 
Jesus is nuts sometimes, man. Like, he knows who his mom is. He knows who his brothers are. But, but like, this is the response. Hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are here. Jesus like, who? Who? Who are my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he pointed to his disciples, which are his followers, the people that, that have decided to discipline, to discipline their lives after the pattern of Jesus. He said, look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. How do you get into the church? You've got to be a part of the family of Jesus. And what's the family of Jesus? Anyone, anyone who does the will of his Father. If you want to be the church of Jesus, it means being the people of Jesus. See, the, the word that we use for church, it comes from this old Latin word, ecclesia. Ecclesia. Ecclesia or ecclesia, however you want to say it. Uh, uh, if, you're, if you're a Spanish speaker, then you know that this is really close to the Spanish word for church, right? Iglesia. Right? Iglesia. Gloria a Dios. All right, here we go. Okay, my people. Okay, listen. Ecclesia. These are the Jesus people. It's this Latin word that they stole from the Romans, the first Christians. They stole this word from the Romans because they were trying to understand what it was to be the church. And so, so they said, hey, the Romans, they use this word ecclesia. It makes a lot of sense for what we do. And, and here's what it was. See, anywhere that Caesar would conquer, any city that would be conquered by the Roman Empire and would bow their knees to Rome and would say that the Roman emperor was God and man and submit to the culture of Rome. That became an official ecclesia of Rome. It was the people of Rome. And so what the first Christians did, they said, well, we know the one true God who is also the one true God man. His name is Jesus. We will be the ecclesia of Christ. We will be the church of Jesus. If you want to know what the church is, the simplest definition I can give you is it's the Jesus people. It's the Jesus people. It's the people who have committed their lives to following Jesus because they recognize that following Jesus is about something so much more than, than anything this world could possibly offer you. So why does the church matter? The church matters because it is the people of Jesus. It is the people that Jesus gave his life for. He's died on a cross so that there could be people like us that follow after him. The Jesus people. Let's move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Listen, we're going to move through this stuff fast, so I need you to listen fast. Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul is writing to an ecclesia in Corinth. He's writing to a church in Corinth, and he tells them this. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. I want to point something out here. Uh, in, in the Greek, when, when Paul makes this statement, he says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? There are two spots in Scripture where Paul says that you are the temple of the Spirit of God. In one spot, he's talking about like you as an individual. You as an individual, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. Your body is a temple of God. But then he says this. He says that all of you together, in fact, the best way to translate it from Greek to English would be like all y'all. Right? Like, like it's, it, it, you know, thank you for the South giving us that slang, right? Like, all y'all together, like all of us together, when we are together, when we all come together, we form the mystical, beautiful church of Jesus. The temple of God is formed when the people of God come together. I want you to get a picture for this. I want you to get a picture for this. Because when you show up on Wednesday night at Bridge, or when you show up on Sunday morning, 
You're not just going to an event. You're not just going to a service. You're not just going to church. You are showing up and you are the embodiment of the temple of God's Spirit. When you come together with the people of God, the Spirit of God becomes present. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed that sometimes it just feels different when you're here worshiping together than it does when you try to do it on your own? It's not that the Spirit of God has changed. It's just that the temple got bigger when you were together. You are the temple of God. But listen to what he says in verse 17. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. By the way, this is in the New Testament. This is like the church of Jesus speaking, okay? Um, God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple that he's speaking. Well, what's the temple he's speaking about? It's the all y'all coming together to worship Jesus. If anyone would seek to destroy the unity of this community, God himself will bring judgment upon them. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. Treat the church with reverence and love. Listen, people try to say all the time, like, well, the church has done a lot of bad in the world. You know, there's the crusades and there's, there's documentaries about churches that have had abuses and things. And yeah, that stuff has happened. It also happens at Walmart. I've seen savage fights at Walmart. I've seen people walk out of Walmart heartbroken because of their experiences there. You know what happens when you get broken people together? You get more broken people. It's just a reality. But you know what else the church has done? The church also invented hospitals. You know that? Somebody looks at you and says, hey, hey, the church is really toxic, man. I don't know if you should be a part of it. It's like, then don't go to our hospitals. Because we created that. That was us. We started hospitals. By the way, by the way, before there were Christians, before there was the church, you know what would happen? People would abandon their children. And those abandoned children would be picked up by slavers and, and, and they would basically become human trafficking victims. You know what the church did? They said, you know what? We have to do something with these kids. So they started orphanages and they started adopting children that weren't their own. Adoption, orphanages, that's the church. Okay? Uh, uh, by the way, anyone that wants to, to say, well, the church has done all this bad in the world. We've also fed more hungry bellies. We've also brought more education. Universities, we did that too. We invented the university. We invented the college. That's the church. We've educated more minds. We've fed more hungry bellies. We've housed more orphans. We have saved more lives than any other organization in the world. The church is beautiful and glorious. And you are a part of that temple. So the next time somebody tries to trash talk the church, let them know that she's beautiful. She's beautiful. Listen, to become a community, you have to understand something. Community cannot be built. It must be realized. Community cannot be built. It must be realized. For us to come into this unity, to be the church of God together, it means that we have to have a realization of commonality. What does it mean to have community? It is a realization of commonality. It means that we all realize together that we have something in common. So, um, forgive him for it, but I know Corey's a pretty big Raiders fan. Yes, yes, okay. Corey's a big Raiders fan. Did you notice how divided the room got right there? Like, five of you were like, yeah, and the rest of you were like, right? Like, okay, here's the deal, here's the deal, here's the deal. You know what Raiders fans have in common? The Raiders. Right? That's what they have in common. So you know what happens? Like, 
out in the wild when one Raiders fan is like wearing their Raiders beanie and another Raiders fan is like wearing their Raiders hoodie and they spot each other in the wild, you know what happens? Instant friendship, right? Like, they have a realized commonality. They have something in common, and all of their differences fall apart because they have chosen to follow a losing team together. And so, let me point something out to you. We have something in common. I love that, Preacher White Boy. That was amazing. Uh, I am the weather from the ghetto. You don't want to mess with this. Okay, so here we go. Community cannot be built. It must be realized. We come together around something so much bigger than a team, around something so much bigger than a philosophy, around something so much bigger than an ideology. We live in a world that so desperately wants to unite around ideas, but we unite around someone so much more significant. We unite around Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the head of the church. He is the one in charge of the church. And when we gripe against the church, we are literally complaining about his bride. So imagine this. Imagine this. You go to a wedding. And all of a sudden, it's that moment like the, 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 the mother of the bride, she stands up and looks back because here comes the bride. She's going to start coming down the aisle, right? And everybody stands up and they all look. And all the girls start to cry like, oh, she's so beautiful, Right? And the groom is up there like, <laughs> right? Like, because he's freaking out because, like, he's, he's, you know, realizing that the love of his life is coming down the aisle. Imagine if as she was walking down the aisle, somebody was like, oh, she ugly. You, you know what happens if that happens at a wedding? Either the groom or the best man, whoever gets there first, punches that person in the throat. That's what they do. They punch that person in the throat. Throat punches are what happens when you call the bride ugly on her wedding day. Okay? You understand? You want to call the bride of Jesus ugly? Because the church is his bride. Don't call her ugly. He will punch you in the throat. He will punch you in the throat. We have this realized commonality. We have Jesus in common. And it is the most significant thing that anyone could ever have in common. It's what makes us brothers and sisters. It's what makes us friends. It's what pulls us together. It's what unites us. More than any single thing in this world, Jesus, Jesus is what makes us a people. He does. Not just ideas about Jesus, but Jesus himself. Because anyone that has been following Jesus for any amount of time would tell you that they have had a real experience with Jesus. What do we have in common? We've all come to Jesus. That's what it is to be in the church. It's to come to Jesus. We've got to keep moving. Here we go. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul writing to a group of Christians in what was probably uh, uh, what we would call modern-day Turkey in the region of Gaul. He says this. I love this. This is such a good passage. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Dear brothers and sisters, listen to the language, by the way, that, that is used by the early church leadership for the church. Brothers and sisters. Like, sometimes this loses meaning on us, because if you've been in church for a long time, you know that old usher who stands at the door is like, God bless you, brother. Right? Like, like they mean well when they say that. They really do. You feel awkward. They mean well. Because they're thinking about this. The thing about the fact that having Jesus in common doesn't just mean that like we're on the same team. It means that we're in the same family. And so right here, Paul starts, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. 
God, they hurt us. We cut them loose. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. With gentleness and humility, we lovingly call each other back into the family. Not by smacking each other upside the head. Not by, not by looking at people and being like, what is wrong with you? No, no. With gentleness and humility, we help each other back into the family. And listen to this. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So like, if somebody falls into alcoholism and you're an alcoholic who's come to Jesus, don't go into the bar to get them. Send a brother or sister that, that can be in the bar without the bar being in them. Right? Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. What burdens is Paul talking about? What's the stuff that Paul's telling us we have to help each other carry? See, sometimes people read this and they're like, oh, that means that, that you should just give everything you have to everybody in the church. And, and listen, if God calls you to give something to somebody, give it to them. But that's not the burden sharing he's talking about here. We are to be generous with each other. But the burden sharing he's talking about here is we bear the burden of one another's sins together. We do not have the option of allowing a brother or sister to walk through sin alone. We are to come alongside one another and help bear the burden of a brother, of a sister, and help lead them out of the weight and pain of their sin. We do it together. I don't know how to do that. I know, right? Paul just says to do it. You know why he doesn't give us like super specific instructions here? Because he knows it's going to look different in each scenario. So that means that you have to know a person well enough that you can walk alongside of them. You can't just be part of the big room. You've got to know one another. You've got to know one another. And then I love the way this, this is summed up. If you, think you're, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. <laughs> Straight up. Straight up, it's in the Bible. You're not that important. You are not so important that someone else's burden shouldn't burden you. You are not so important that you should not be consumed with a love and compassion for your brother and sister. You do not have so much going on in your life that the people that God has placed in your life cease being important. You're not that important. We do this together. One more passage. This is one of my favorite portions of all of the scripture. It really is. And, and, and this comes from John chapter 17. And this is Jesus praying. It's the night that Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest friends. Judas sells Jesus out for the price of a common slave. And Jesus is going to die the next day. And Jesus knows all of this. And Jesus begins to pray for his followers. And not just the other 11 guys that are sitting around the table at that point. He's praying for everyone that will follow Jesus as a result of their ministry. So that's us. This is how Jesus prays for us. This is Jesus praying for you. Are you ready? John 17, 21 through 23. Jesus prays this. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, 
so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, so that they may be one, as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus has just been betrayed by a friend. In a few hours, he will be in a garden praying with his other friends. And Judas will come with a garrison of troops to arrest Jesus, who has never raised a hand against anyone. The only time he ever raised a hand was to heal. The only time he ever raised his voice was to speak truth. And they show up with a garrison of troops to arrest him. A man of peace, so divisive that the world comes to arrest him. And Judas comes to him and kisses him on the cheek. And Jesus looks at Judas and he says, You would betray me with a kiss. Jesus knows this is all going to happen. He knows it. And so how does he pray for us? May they be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. Being perfected into unity so that the world will know that you've sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. God the Father loves the people of Jesus as much as he loves Jesus because we are adopted into the family. You know what it is to become a Christian? It's to become a part of a family, the church. It's to have our big brother Jesus, like the one and only Son of the Father, go out into every place in the world and say, Dad, I love this one. Can we take him home? Dad, I love her. Can we take her home? Dad, I want him to be my little brother. Dad, I want him to be my little sister. Dad, I want her. I want this one. Can I have all of them? What is it to be in the church? It is to be adopted and chosen by God. It is to be so loved by Jesus that his prayer was that we would be loved in the same way that he is perfectly loved by his Father. You may feel like a misfit. You may feel like you've never had a place where you belong. But listen to me tonight. You belong here. This is his family. He loves you with an undying passion, with an undying love. Jesus prays that we would be made one. Make us one. Let me explain this to you. This is more than a gathering. And there is nothing that your pastors and leaders can do to make you one. It's your responsibility to unite with each other. Paul said it in Galatians. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The leadership here can do things to help you realize your commonality, but they can't make you a community. Only you can do that. They can't make you love each other. Only you can do that. On that same night when Jesus was betrayed, he did something. He gave us a symbol of our unity. We call it communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 30, the Apostle Paul explains to us what communion is. Paul says it this way. He says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he looks at his 11 closest friends in the world and he takes a piece of bread. They're sitting eating this sacred meal called Passover. 
And Jesus takes a piece of bread and he does something. Like, like Passover is so sacred that it is like orchestrated. There are certain things that are said, questions that are asked to progress the whole evening along. It's all supposed to happen in a very simple process. And at the end of the meal, Jesus adds something to Passover, which no one has ever done. And Jesus takes out a piece of bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body. It is broken for you. Take it and eat it, and every time you do, remember me. Remember me. And then in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It is an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So after he gave them the bread, Jesus took a single cup of wine, and he held it up, and he said, this is my blood. A new covenant, a new arrangement, a new agreement between God and man. There, for all of us, written in the blood of Jesus, is a new relationship between you and God the Father. A relationship that you can't break because it is written in the everlasting blood of Christ. Some of you last night, you came up to this altar and you're like, I feel called. And then you went home and you screwed up in the same way again. You cannot undo his love for you. He wrote it in his own blood. He wrote it in his blood. He pours out his blood for you. Paul explains, he says, every time they eat the bread and every time you drink the cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. What you're announcing announcing the Lord's death until he comes again, is the symbol of our unity. The night that Jesus gave us communion was the night that Jesus prayed that we would be one. And so he gave us a symbol of our unity. There is something mysterious and beautiful that happens in communion. This isn't like snack time in church. It is the body of Christ that unites us. The bread broken for us unites us. The blood of Christ poured out for us. You're not getting wine tonight, you're getting juice. Poured out for us. It unites us. Let me point something out to you. If communion was just like this ritual thing, Paul wouldn't say what he's about to say. Listen to what he says. Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or you drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Twice in instruction to the church about unity... Paul says, if you cause disunity, one, if you try to divide the church of God that we are, God will bring destruction upon you. You try to destroy the temple, God will bring destruction on you. If you come to the table of Jesus, communion, the body and blood of Christ, in an unworthy manner, you are drinking sickness and death upon yourself. And I'm not saying this to scare you, I'm saying this so that you have a sober mind about it, so that you are clear-minded about this. This is not just a thing that we do. This is who we are. We are people of the table. 
I want to point something out. To become family means that you give up your rights and you assume responsibilities. That's what it means. To become family means you give up your rights and you assume responsibilities. If your mom and dad are like, hey, we got company coming over tonight. You got responsibilities. Go clean up that mess you call a bathroom. Right? Because the whole family is hosting guests. If you're part of the family, you gave up your rights. You accepted responsibilities to one another, to bear each other's burdens. Responsibility to love, even the unlovable. And think of that awkward, weird student that comes in on a Wednesday night that nobody's talking to. They are your responsibility. They're yours. You want to know why I know that's important? It's because that's the kid I was. Like I said, I'm the youngest of seven. I have one full brother. He's two years older than me. His name's Paul. Everybody likes him. Paul would walk in here and he would instantly be best friends with everyone in the room. He's good at that. I'm not. I'm awkward and quiet and weird. And I remember being in youth group with my brother. And in some ways it just hurt. It just hurt. I would go to youth group with my brother. Like every week. My name's Matt. People couldn't remember that. Like it's the first gospel. Come on. They couldn't remember that. So you know what they started calling? They started calling me Paul Jr. That sucked. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. This guy Richie in our youth group. He started calling me Matt. He was my brother's friend before he was my friend, but he made me his friend. And all of a sudden, I felt like I had a place where I fit. Because that's what it is to join the church, to join the family. It's to abandon all of the unbelonging and find belonging. The sign of our unity is communion. It's the thing that unites us. Paul tells us not to drink or eat unworthily. That means that we have to examine our lives, look at ourselves and say, God, what would you have me do? Coming to the communion table means four things. One, it means being forgiven by Jesus. If you have sin in your life, something that the Spirit of God is gnawing at your heart, like some of you right now, it's not because they started playing. Some of you are like, oh, there's this thing inside of me gnawing at me, and there's this moment that keeps replaying in your mind when you failed, when you messed up, when you know you didn't look like a Christian, and it's replaying over and over and over again. That's the Spirit of God, and He's not trying to shame you. He's trying to remind you so that you can set your heart with Jesus right. Set your heart with Jesus right. One, you have to be forgiven by Jesus, and that's easy. All you got to do is ask. Two, you got to be adopted by Jesus. You want to come to the communion table? It's not just about saying, God, forgive me so that I'm free, but it's about saying, God, I want to be in the family. Everything I am is yours. My life is yours. Three, you want to come to the communion table? You have to be forgiving like Jesus. At one point, Jesus gives this teaching, and it's a challenging one. He says, if any of you comes to offer a sacrifice to God, so you come to worship, right? Like, 
We come to worship Jesus. We don't sacrifice animals anymore. We sacrifice our voices and our praise, right? Like you come to sacrifice. You come to worship. It says, if as you are on your way to worship, you remember that you have something against your brother or sister. Not that they have something against you, that you have something against them. He says, leave your gift and go be reconciled. And then come back and offer your gift. Too many times we are so flippant about the fact that we say, well, God forgave me. I don't need to work this out. You were made to live in relationships, and that's challenging, and it's difficult, and it means you have responsibilities. You have responsibilities. Jesus also said this. He said that you will be forgiven to the measure with which you forgive. None of us like to talk about that. We like to talk about the fact that Jesus forgives everybody, and he does. He forgives everyone that will come to him, but also he requires that we be forgiving. You must be forgiving like Jesus. And fourthly, if you want to come to the communion table, it means you have to be united as family. Tonight, we're going to take communion together. That's what we're going to do. We've got communion at stations. We'll give you some instructions about what to do in a moment. But I want to explain something to you. This is sacred. This is an act of worship. And before you come to the table... Have you been forgiven by Jesus? Have you joined the family? Are you committed to the family? Have you forgiven? Not just in your heart, but in deed. Some of you have issues with other people in this room. Some of you have issues with people in your home. Some of you have issues with people that, that like you barely even know. Before you take of the body and blood of Christ, you've got to work that out. We're going to open up an opportunity for you to come to communion in a moment. But before we do, you've got to get your life with Jesus right and ask Him to forgive you. And then if there's someone, especially if they're in this room, that you've got to squash something with, you've got to squash it. Because what unites us is so much bigger than what divides us. You want to feel like you have a family? You want to feel like you've got a place to call home? This is your opportunity. Do the hard work of forgiveness. And then, go together to take communion. Having worked things out between each other. This means being united as a family. Tonight, you'll have an opportunity. We've got prepackaged communion. I know we've got it on tables on either side. Do we have it? We're also going to have it up here on the platform. Here's how this is going to work. You'll come, you'll get the little communion pack. You'll open up the top layer. There's a little wafer in there, a little piece of bread. Before you take it, I don't want you to take it alone. I want you to take it with people. And especially if you've got people you've got to work stuff out with, you can work it out first, and then you come together and you take it. And you take that piece of bread out, and you look at each other, and one of you just needs to say, the body of Christ. That's all you got to do. The body of Christ. And then eat it at the same time. And then after you've done that, you, you open up the cup. And one of you looks at the other and says, the blood of Christ. And you drink it together. And you pray together. And you worship. And you give thanks for what Jesus has done for you. Because he has not left you alone. He has made you a part of his family.
So I'm going to pray over our communion. The band is going to kind of lead, and I'm going to invite Pastor Corey to, to really lead the rest of this time. But the challenge to you when I say amen is this. Do you need to text somebody? Do you need to call somebody? Do you need to walk across the room and talk to somebody? Work it out. Because we're supposed to be one. All being perfected in the one as Jesus and the Father are one. But we would be in Him and Him in us. Can I pray for you? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this communion. We thank you for your body broken for us. Your blood poured out for us. We thank you, God, that you have made a way for us. Lord, I pray for the one tonight that would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I, I feel like I've always been a misfit on the outside, not fitting in. It's time for me to surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you tonight, I want you to pray a simple prayer right where you're at. Right where you're at. And I want you to pray it out loud. One sentence. We're going to commit our lives to Jesus. If you tonight, either for the first time or the thousandth time, you need to give your life to Jesus. Pray this out loud like you mean it. Pray it with me. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. That's all it takes. That's where you start. You give him your life. And now, Father, would you reveal to us, prepare in our hearts, forgive us of our sins, and help us to forgive one another. Help us to forgive one another. As you have forgiven us, may we also be forgiven. Give us a love and a passion for your church, for each other. I pray bless this communion. Your body broken for us. Your blood poured out for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Excuse me, Father, would you stand to your feet all across this place? For the next maybe three or five minutes, we'll give you the freedom to move into this moment how you see fitness. For some of you, you're going to have to text some people. You're going to have to apologize. You're not going to. You're not going to text them and say, "Hey, um, I want to let you know that I've forgiven you for how you wronged me." But rather, you would text and say, "I apologize." For some of you, there's someone in this room you got to go and you have to have a chat with, and maybe they don't even know the negative feelings that you've been harboring towards them. A few of you, you might want to take time to be at the altar and to and to just surrender the sin that maybe you've been holding on to. And then you can come. You can take communion. I have a few of you guys. I know I want. I want to take part in this moment together. But for the next few moments, if you're ready, you can grab the hand of your friend. You can start heading down. You can have a moment. You can go and see our leaders at either side. There's there's also ones right here at the altar. Let's move into this moment together. If you've got to start texting somebody, text them. If you need to go find a place in the room to call somebody and, and have a conversation, you do that. If you need to have a moment where you grab a leader and you say, "Hey, would you pray for me and lead me into communion?" you do that. So for these next few moments, go ahead and have this moment. So.